<laughs> we fucked up. It's already ruined. Cancel, cancel the revival. <laughs> Yeah, it's good to be back. This is great. Uh, oh, we're jumping right in. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, guess, I, I don't know. I guess start of the show. How are you Ladies guys Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to the show. Yeah. Yes. This is, uh, <laughs> do you remember 10 years ago when uh, <laughs> things were like normal-ish? Yeah, 10 years ago. Wasn't that back in uh, March? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been 10 years since we did this. We uh, Maybe we should do a catch-up. Like, I was just entering my 30s. I'm now 40, I think. Y'all are still in your 30s, I think. At the time, I was not in my 30s at all. And now I'm recently 32. Uh, yeah, I'm getting ready to be 35. Yep. And uh, both, both Borf and I got married in the interim. Mm-hmm. We are now off the market ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> uh, that happened. Um, yeah, and I was still living in New York, I think. And then I went to LA, and mm-hmm. now I'm back in Colorado. Um, yeah, we have somehow never managed to record an episode of this uh, in person. That's right. Yeah, somehow we yeah. lived in the same for one point in magical eclipse of the stars. We were living in the same and didn't even get around <laughs> to recording anything because we in had fact, work. To the degree that although I was a late jo- joiner to this show, Chris and I have met one time in person, and it was about mm-hmm. two, three years ago after the podcast had not made an episode for about seven years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was uh, Harmontown. That was the thing. I went off, worked on Harmontown, floated away with the circus for probably about three years and wound up doing a lot of traveling and met Zach in person. Hmm. Thanks to he gave us free tickets. That was the bribe that did uh, <laughs> that finally got me to, to accept. He asked constantly. He was he was coming to town, and I'd say, oh, "I'm busy. I'm busy." Then he, he dangled those tickets in front of me, and it it it's, it yep. lured the trap. That, yeah, it was, the, it was the bait. The, the, the thirteen dollars finally was just enough to tip it over the edge. <laughs> well, they would record live all the time. Um, one of these days, guys, we'll go on the road. We'll bring the show on the road. We'll get some. I mean, we could do that now. It's just no one would show up. We would just be us. Yeah, we'd be playing to an empty audience. (laughs) We could go. Our tour right now would consist of we'd each go to each other's apartments and force our girlfriends (laughs) to watch. Reluctantly, extremely (laughs) reluctantly. (laughs) And they'd try to contribute their own intelligent observations about the movies. And we'd say, no, 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 no. This yes. is our podcast. You yes. are the audience. That's right. Yeah. Be consistent um, mansplaining. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yes. So speaking of mansplaining, <laughs> let's talk about this movie. Rear Window. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock film, 1954, I believe. Oh, shit. I don't 54. Know. Yeah. 54. Um, yeah. Um, well, let's talk about briefly before we get into the nitty gritty of the movie. How this pick, and maybe to a lesser degree, how this revival came about. So Indeed. we talked about ourselves, but if you don't know anything about world events from the last time this podcast aired, <laughs> it just got worse basically in every way consistently every year. So now <laughs> it's bad enough that we have decided to talk to each other again because we are all trapped in our apartments. Uh, and I messaged to uh, these folks. We did occasionally have internet correspondence that uh, we had talked about maybe doing this again. And I was talking about how I was, I had never seen rear window and because it's quarantine and now it's very hot in my apartment. And in fact, they are building some apartments directly behind my apartment building. If I look out the window in front of me, I can see a row of yet to be constructed apartment windows. Uh, it seemed like the time to, uh, of the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it yeah, it's like, like the, one stage away from like hell freezing over. It's like everything has just ground to a halt. We can't leave the house ever. There is now no longer an excuse not to do a podcast. That's right. Yes. So, so you win, world. You exactly. win. <laughs> so if you're listening in the future, why'd we pick Rear Window? It's coronavirus, baby. Yeah. It's quarantine theme. Yeah. Although when Jimmy Stewart said he'd spent six weeks stuck in his apartment, I was like, well, lucky you, my man. <laughs> <laughs> Amateur. <laughs> um, well, and I, 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 so we came up, basically it was like a, he came up with the idea to watch it. Now, um, Boroff and I, I know I've seen this movie no less than 80 times in film school, at least. Um, yeah. And it, it, again, it is one of those movies that what can you say that hasn't really already been said about it? Um, but let's give it a try, shall we? Um, I think <laughs> one of, and we're reminded of some, Bor, if you sent out a little pamphlet for this movie, a little copy of uh, Hitchcock. Uh, yeah, the, the true co Hick, about it. Yeah, the, the Hitchcock true thing. The yeah. And I kind of wanted to talk about what I think I like about this script in general is that it doesn't waste a lot of time with exposition. I mean, some, but not overtly. Like, you get the whole concept. Truffaut even brought this up, that within that first 30-second shot of what this movie's really going to be about and everybody's sort of point of view of the world. Yeah, it's a guy broke legs, stuck in the house. He's going to be chilling in that house. Well, sweating in that house, but he's going to be in the house watching murders. Right, but it's the way they revealed that information. You know, it, it, mm -hmm. it wasn't... And again, they kind of have the back and forth with Thelma Ritter a little bit, but it doesn't give you yeah. the full story. You just get it really in the first 30 seconds. My favorite is the photograph. One of his photographs on his wall is of uh, a race car careening directly towards the camera, which I think is the photo he took right before being injured. Yeah, that, I think that's the idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I don't know how you'd feel about that. It'd be like if, uh, well, well, maybe. You know, it's not like he, well, it, it, what, you're constantly well, reminded of what happened to you. You know, you're you know, just sitting there by bad. yourself and you're just looking at that picture being like, if I had only gone that way, yeah. you know, like. Well, it, he's not paralyzed, at least. It'd be a different thing if true. you were like. That's true. Permanently. Yeah. 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 Look, uh, considering how bad that accident looked. I mean, he's like, he, that, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe he well, did duck in the right direction because that looked fatal That's as true. hell to me. <laughs> there was only one way out of that and he was going to lose something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy because like none of the shooting stuff like that now is like so much safer that he would never need to be out there shooting that. So a lot of the For stuff sure. where they're in this and they're like, oh, we're going to send you to such and such. I'm like, no, they would not send him to such and such. That isn't how that would happen now. Yeah. They have like a whole team. That, it's funny that safe. you say that because I, it brings me up to later on, but I'll, I'll bring that up later. Um, and also, I, I think what's nice about the script in general is that you pretty much as the audience go on the same journey as as Jimmy, but more or less you go on the same journey as, as Grace Kelly. Cause like eventually mm -hmm. you start to believe it, you know, that you're like, this is makes sense. Cause at first you're like, come on, Jimmy, what the fuck? You know? Um, Jeff, I mean, I don't know. Things. I watched a movie. That's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. I'm expecting someone to get stabbed or killed at some yeah, point. I, I, so as soon true. as a, and as I, soon as a I, suggestion also, of like, crime Hitchcock happened, I was like morbid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's got a, he's like, and it's not so much that this is morbid, you know, visually, it's, you know, the, 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 how he disposes the body. Yeah. Is, the implications or the inferences are extremely grotesque. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that, it, that's pretty cool considering, yeah, we're, as you say, Boref, where Hitchcock likes to go. <laughs> he's got a thing with the morbid. He, he loves it, you know? And also, he's, he, even he bring this up to, to not, not in the Truffaut interview, but I saw that he was interviewing Bogdanovich. 
um, where he has sympathy for bad guys. You know, he he kind of has an understanding of them. At least that's what he says. Well, having some empathy for characters, even if you don't like them, is always helpful. You, you don't really get a lot of chances to be sympathetic with him other than that just like he seems like he fucking hates his wife. You know, like you don't get a really chance to really humanize him. But I think in the in the Bogdanovich interview, Hitchcock was talking about like how, you know, had Jimmy Stewart not meddled, he would have gotten away with it, you know, and everyone would have been just fine. Maybe the wife was yeah. just that bad, you know, like that's that's how <laughs> Hitchcock literally thought of how he would make a bad guy sympathetic. It's just like, you know, some women like to get killed, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's some really odd, like heavy handed, like marriage stuff in this where it's like every 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 couple he sees across the way is having some sort of a relationship issue where it's like. You know, either uh, a, a newlywed couple that won't stop having sex or some lady who's waiting on Mr. Somebody or a lonely right. heart lady who the lonely or... heart lady is younger than Jimmy Stewart. So I'm like, <laughs> why is that supposed to be the end of the end all sadness? Like Jimmy Stewart is a creep. He is dating a 22 year old. Yeah. He is 60. Yeah. Well, yeah. to be fair. um, <laughs> Oh, what's the name of uh, the lead actress in uh, It's a Wonderful Life? Um, she had to be about the same age as Jimmy Stewart in that film, and yet she was an old maid when she was already at her unmarried age of about 40. Nah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. The a lot of these movies days. are pretty silly. <laughs> um, and that, and, you know, and you're, 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 I think a, the point about relation to this movie is, I mean, and it mirrors... Jamie there you know Jeff's and Grace Kelly's whole conflict too is all about relationships he doesn't want to get married to Grace Kelly for some reason that is beyond me really um you know it, it, yeah I mean there's absolutely. a whole lot of like not social distancing happening in this oh, movie yeah she was <laughs> there's a lot of awkward kissing because it's like have you ever tried to kiss someone at the angle she's trying to kiss him in this movie it's like looking at like salmon trying to go upstream. It doesn't make sense. It's just like, like slamming like cheeks together. But it's weird. I, I did read. Um, speaking of this, the actual story of this movie, it's worth noting that it is based on I think a short story true. that Very includes true. neither uh, a romantic subplot nor any other neighbors besides Thorwald. That's true. So Hitchcock's everything else was invented by a, Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. Or or his, the guy was also like an invalid. He wasn't like or or. Uh, uh, disabled. I think they use the word invalid in the actual interview. They, so excuse me if that's a for harsh the last term. Line that you reveal his legs broken. I don't think they give you that information until the very last part of that short story. Is what? Oh, I okay. Recall. I didn't know that he was even like had a broken leg. I thought it was just like he was just infirmed because it. They talk about it in that like book, and it's like yada yada yada. You know, it's it's a it was a student film book. Uh, I, I I grabbed that book. I, I watched all the all the all the Alfred Hitchcock movies, and then read whatever the little blit was out of the book. And I thought at the time that it would help me understand films better, but it just meant that I watched a lot of real shitty early Alfred Hitchcock movies before he became like a suspense guy. And it was just a fucking farmer getting married. <laughs> rough movies that's all i'm saying that's the thing about this movie i mean at, at the point of at the point of rear window i mean he's been making movies for you know 20 years 20 plus years at this point yeah. you know i mean he's an old hand at this um and that's why i mean the production of this alone i mean they built that whole set you know i mean i think i i wonder if it's 
funny that like the fact that it's so hot is so part of that movie and everybody's just drenching in sweat. I mean, and that's just because they had to light it um, mm-hmm. like they mm-hmm. did. Um, and to your point earlier about like what it would be like today, I, I wonder in today's technology, it probably wouldn't be that bad, you know, with the power going out with the rain and everyone roasting during the summer, mm-hmm. day, you know, like um, not Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart. They were quite comfortable, but everybody else in their little boxes were were just boiling baked. yeah yeah mm-hmm. i i heard i read a piece of trivia that the lights were so hot at one point they set off the sprinklers in the studio during the filming of this Jeez, though every wow. single apartment apparently had running water and electricity so you could literally just live in them i think why well, i think mrs torso did actually i think she I know, at some point we're gonna have to talk there, about yeah. the nicknames he gives these people because no, i know it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he yeah, doesn't even they, give the nickname to the newlyweds. He just like, just ignores them and kind of grim, you know, grimaces at them all the time. Yeah. I think he was giving them a smile. I think he was like, you could tell that's young love where the guy just keeps getting yanked back into the room like a flipping zombie movie. Uh, that's right. Well, that's how that's how Jeff did seem to feel about marriage, Chris. I think he was really yeah. did seem like a big fan. Yeah. yeah, it seemed real weird that he was that anti-marriage. Like, I didn't I didn't quite follow. Well, the source of the conflict seems to be Obviously, he is, I guess, a racing slash war photojournalist <laughs> um, <laughs> because he's about to be sent to Kashmir. Uh, that's his next assignment after the Daytona 500, I guess. Right. Yeah, um, and he got a cigarette box in Shanghai and stuff. And she is admittedly a little naive about how dangerous that would be to come along with him, especially in this time period. And she also, I think, naively suggests that he take up fashion photography i can't imagine between fashion and war photography two things that are technically the same profession that require a wider set difference in skill sets yeah i think (laughs) long lenses is the only thing that would be applied in both cases like there's no way yeah no well you you think that's probably how they met right like she's like in fashion and he's a photographer he's probably been at some photo shoot i mean they, he probably you know probably back then you worked for a newspaper and you just went where they told you to do um well i mean this is like the 1950s everything's still fairly sophisticated as far as photojournalism I'm, is concerned i mean it could be it could be that but it also could be that they just didn't know how it actually worked and knew that the audience wouldn't know how it worked so it's like when people break out the like the resuscitation paddles in movies mm-hmm. and they're using it to like recharge <laughs> somebody like, yeah it's like no that that's only if the heart's beating in the wrong order or you can stop it for a second you can't restart a heart so i have a feeling that they probably played a little fast and loose because it's also like when you look at his apartment i don't imagine that a hustler war photojournalist would be able to afford that apartment that doesn't seem reasonable to me Isn't especially like in new the york village and shit you know like yeah. it's supposed to be like greenwich village yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah that shit ain't cheap um yeah. it's based I mean, on a real courtyard apparently uh in greenwich village um yep speaking briefly again of the set though one thing that struck a couple of years ago my girlfriend shannon and i went to see a sign called the sign in Sidney Bernstein's window by uh, Lorraine Hansberry, the woman who wrote A Raisin in the Sun. Uh, this was not, as, it was a follow-up play to that, and it wasn't as popular because there was a lot of very pro-socialism and communism undertones that were not great for the time. I think it would be great to adapt now, actually, but that's beside the point. The set, in this particular instance, was an apartment building, and you could see various other apartment buildings and characters would come on to, like, catwalks and things and perform various tasks. And watching this for the first time now, I was momentarily, before I knew anything about it, I was like, was this originally a play? 
because it feels so ripe to be a stage production where mm-hmm. you just have these boxes where whatever Miss Lonely Hearts appears for a moment and does her thing. And then Thorwald appears in his apartment and does his thing. But the main action, the main set is obviously Jeffrey's apartment. And you even have the guy playing piano. It's all diegetic music. That guy could mm-hmm. be on stage the entire time. I'm shocked that this neither was a stage production, nor as far as I'm aware, has been adapted to the stage because it seems so perfect for that. Well, Christopher Reeves did do it you know, oh, did? when he was okay. alive. There, there is a TV movie remake of this starring Christopher Reeves post horse riding accident. Um, anyway, he got paid. Um it adds to the power of the script by just keeping the atmosphere of the courtyard. And that allows the audience to sort of like be in that atmosphere. You're, you're in the same point of view as Jeffrey's. So like it, it is as Jefferson, excuse me, LB Jefferson is his fucking oh, name. Right, Everyone yeah. calls him Jeff. Yeah. They, they um, let you know his name immediately on the cast at the start of the film. That was right. kind of an odd, that was an odd flourish. <laughs> By the way, Jimmy Stewart, this has got to be the job of a lifetime, right? You just get to sit. There's not a whole lot of dialogue. You're opposite Grace Kelly. I mean, like, this is the job of, this is a dream job, you know, like you just get to sit, you know, I don't, you know, like, uh, you know, I know he got to do that for the Lindbergh movie, but he still had a lot of wooden dialogue in that stupid movie. Um, mm-hmm. so, but in this one, there's, there's not a lot of talking, you know, there's not a lot of, you, you, Jimmy Stewart doesn't talk a lot in this movie. Um, it's a lot of actions and reactions, you know, and, and that sort of adds to you, the audience getting into fill in the blanks, you know, again, the morbidity of the, of the disposal of the body, they say it outright, but you don't actually see it, but it's still, I mean, I imagine in 1954, it must be something shocking. Um, yeah, but they also made sure that it was said by like the, the salt of the earth, um, maid who I probably, yeah, or the, the rehabilitation nurse who (laughs) seems like she should get fired at some point because she's way too familiar and like, it's weird. It's a weird bit. And and also, like, doesn't he get in bed? Like, he has a bed. He just yeah. sleeps in the chair all the time. Is yeah, that really how sleep. they did back then? They just slept in the chair the whole time? Uh, I, hmm. We'll have to ask it's any unclear. doctors out there right into the show. Let us know. Um, any historical doctors or whatever. Any doctors she, who were around in 1954. That nurse also gives him, in my opinion, some bad advice about love, which is basically like, if you think a person's hot, you should fucking marry him. Like, <laughs> top to bottom, that's her advice. Yeah, that's that's some real farm kid advice where it's like, well, you have to get married to have sex, and you're only going to live until you're 30, so you might as well get married. Uh, especially, like, one that looks like Grace Kelly and is throwing herself at you. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, even me saying no to Grace Kelly, that'd be tough. You know, like, I, I don't know what his hang up is. What? He likes to go. It'd be relatively sh- easy now because she's dead. But mm. then. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not like Jimmy Stewart's just kicking him off anyway. Um, <laughs> but like, it, it, but it, it, this isn't my I think what I like about Rear Window is I don't it's it's probably my favorite Hitchcock film um, and not because I think it's his best film, um, nor do I think it's his best collabor- collaboration with uh, Jimmy Stewart or Grace Kelly. It's not even Thelma Ritter's best movie, um, but it is such an easy movie. How the hell did you get out? Sorry, there might be a cat attacking. Um, I thought I shut the door, <laughs> but you opened it. Um, anyway, um, it, but what it does do is it's a good explanation for somebody who's never heard of a Hitchcock film. This is a good idea if you want to know what Hitchcock, what the 
at least the penultimates, uh, or not the penultimates, the prime of Hitchcock's. Um, and Rear Window, I think, is a, it's just a good movie. Like, it just, it, it still stands up. I mean, there's, it doesn't waste yeah. a lot of time. Um, you know, it, it, the, the, the mere reflection of the relationship status of each of his, um, neighbors mirroring his own aversion to relationships, um, specifically with Grace Kelly for weird reasons. Um, I guess it's just because you think that he's because he thinks Jimmy Stewart thinks that Grace Kelly's character is stupid and that's why he doesn't actually want to marry her. I think uh, the, the implication is not necessarily that she's stupid, but I think she, he thinks she's either their lifestyles are incompatible or that she's naive. So one of the things that I think very much turns his mind on her is when she takes initiative and goes to Thorwald's apartment and rushes headfirst into danger, which is functionally what his job is, whereas her job is to be pampered and to wear a dress that she says costs $1,100, which in today's money is $10,500. Yeah. Like they live very oppositional lifestyles where he's going to Kashmir and he talks about how like, well, you're going to be packing with a backpack and be out there for months and you're going to be taking fire. And like, I think his perception and she's like, well, I'll go with you. It's just as easy as me going with you. And she's, and he's reasonably like, no, this is, a difficult thing to do. It is I, not the lap of luxury. And I think he has probably a disdain for the level of luxury that she has. Even when she makes that extremely gorgeous dinner, probably true. He's sort of underwhelmed by it. In spite of the fact that it is the most beautiful looking dinner I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. He seems like he's kind of a shitty boyfriend. Um, yeah, I would go so far as to say that like it, it, he doesn't take her serious and he's only attracted to her when she puts herself in danger. So like, <laughs> I think that's that's like the main selling point for those Twilight movies was that the oh vampire God. dude oh God. was we like watch that during the quarantine yeah. guys. Oh, fuck. Yeah, no, I mean, that'll give you COVID. Um, oh, fuck. It's, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, just like putting herself in danger to like prove herself to the guy and get him interested. It's just it's a very strange, like somewhat dated um, gender relationship. It feels like to me. Well, I'll get into that later in the the end. But I I think that um, I I just wonder, I think that's I think you guys are right, that it's more of a he sees an extreme difference in lifestyle and his mind very much even just sliding the note under Thorwald's desk, Thorwald's door. Like that got him off that that was like, OK, she's willing to do that. And also, like she had an answer for that bag problem. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, fucking a. Well, I mean, he was just like trolling the the murderer. Like, yeah, it's like in in modern terms, this would be like an internet thing. It'd be like reality TV or like camming sites, like Twitch TV and stuff like that. For but sure. like, I mean, the modern version of this it, it, is probably that horrendous unfriended movie. Uh, there but was like, also they made a version in like 2005 starring Shia LaBeouf called Suburbia right. or Disturbia, maybe Disturbia. It, I Disturbia, think. yeah. yeah. They had like a legal uh, argument with the estate of whoever the guy was who wrote the original story on this. Uh, I saw um, it. The only thing I remember is that the villain was played by Robert Morse, who was good. Everything about the about, else about the movie, I forgot. I don't know who Robert Morse is. Uh, he's a uh, very well beloved. He's a character yeah. actor. You look if you show him, if you saw his picture, you'd be like, "Oh, that guy." That's, yeah. that's exactly he's one of the, how he's that would go down. Guy. He's yeah, in like the yeah. Green Mile as one of the guards, uh, the older yeah. guard. Yeah. Yeah, played George Washington in the John Adams. Movie oh, series. was he the guy? He was the dude on CSI for a long time, I think. I believe Maybe. that's true. 
I believe or maybe it that's was the true. other guy who looks like him. Uh, I don't it's know. Okay, but guys. he's also so the lead just... guy in the Langoliers. Um, the TV gotcha. movie. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. See that From guy. My, my yeah, high class <laughs> TV history. Langoliers. Balky being bitten in half by a Pac-Man. Yes, it was a cinematic <laughs> classic. Pac-Man. Yes, I remember that film very well. Pac-Man. <laughs> Oh boy! If that, that's how you do a Pac-Man movie, Hollywood. That's yeah. how you do a Pac-Man movie. We're all ghosts, and we're just avoiding Pac-Man. One of the cultural impacts of Rear Window is that voyeurism. Is that we all yeah. have that kind of instinct? I think na- naturally we have that instinct. I mean, Truffaut and Hitchcock talk about it, but like I think that that's what resonates so much, and especially nowadays. I mean, nowadays. My God, you know, I mean, it's 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 on hyperspeed. I don't even think Hitchcock could have predicted this. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, have you guys noticed anything like this in your day to day life now where like you've noticed things about neighbors that you didn't notice before or um, just anything while you're in quarantine where you just wind up noticing things because you have to be home all the time now? I keep all my blinds shut because I don't want my neighbors judging my lawn and I don't want to see their judging faces. <laughs> I'm more acutely aware of our downstairs neighbors coming and goings and that their boyfriends, when their boyfriends come and go, because I can hear the doors open and close and things like that. Uh, our landlord lives on the side house and I see him go out to the garage sometimes and take care of his cars. That's about mm. it. But like I Did said, they- there's an apartment building going up behind my building. So... That's I don't fine. have neighbors yet. Although, if if only this, mm. this coronavirus happened a little later, I could be fucking watching people all the time. Yeah, no, don't worry, buddy. It'll be back. <laughs> Do, uh, I mean, it's not really gone. Do you notice? Uh, it, are you noticing like that it's men because of how they slam the door, or is it like? Do you no, notice like? Uh, actually. We believe the boyfriends do not have keys themselves and sometimes leave when the girlfriends have already gone out or gone to work or something. Because the door will be unlocked for a couple hours when the boyfriends leave. Oh, that's that's weird. Yeah. Shannon just doesn't like it. She's she's trying to very as politely as possible. Get get our landlord to make them course correct. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you could just go down and shut the door. Yeah, that's true, I suppose. (laughs) That, way, way to be passive-aggressive, Borf. <laughs> that, whatever, gets the message across. You brought up the music, too, and I think one of the funny bits of trivia about this movie is the musician guy is the guy who invented Alvin and the Chipmunks. No, um, I that's funny. Yeah, so that, when you see him drunken, like, shoveling over fucking notes, that does make it a lot funnier, doesn't it? Like, oh, I can't, Christmas, Christmas time is close to, I will never get it fucking right, this fucking chipmunk shit, you know. It's a lot funnier if you look at it in that, and that's who misses Lonely Hearts if you put that in your head. Aw, chipmunks, you know, like, I, it's I mean, a lot funnier with knowing that. It's great to think that he's just casually, like, in a monotone singing into the alley. Just, Christmas, Christmas. <laughs> just waiting in for the, the middle, days. No less in the middle of a boiling New York summer. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the middle of July. And then <laughs> randomly some chubby British guy comes in and winds your clock. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Hitchcock loved to do these little jokes with his yeah. cameos or whatever. Um, and him, he's the master of time, right? He's winding the clock. He's he's kind of yeah. the controlling, overarching 
thing in all this. I mean, um, his little his little like asides where he pokes himself in are definitely less upsetting than like um, M Night Shyamalan, where it's like yeah. you know, suddenly get like a twenty minute scene of someone hamming their way through trying to say sorry for a car accident and signs yeah. or whatever that mess was. Tarantino trying to do a Australian accent. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Not a lot. Not yeah. very subtle either of those. Yeah. Especially yeah. that lady in the water. Isn't Shyamalan like the underappreciated writer or something in Lady in the Water? <laughs> Yes, yes. Okay. He's he's the guy about to write. I'm glad you finished something. that sentence. Oh, Isn't he the God. unappreciated writer in the movie? Oh, phew! Thank God. <laughs> oh my God! It's such a bad movie. It's terrible. Um, now she directs a uh, Mandalorian. Um, Who does? Bryce Dallas Howard. Oh, oh well, I mean, she's gone um, on to plenty. She's she's oh, a yeah. reasonable person. Yeah, she's she's far she is. <laughs> yeah. She is the innocent party in the train wreck that was all the movies that she had to be involved with with that uh, guy. Yes, yeah. yes. There, there have been many casualties, many, many casualties of Shyamalan, namely the first little boy that he got hired for. Um, though, I mean, he's doing okay now, and um, I think he's in some TV show now. But he's yeah, he's he was um, just in uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh yeah, Haley, I Haley still have not seen yeah. the TV show. Well, yet, I must have I, missed that episode or missed him in it or something because I didn't realize it. It is a oh, fantastic show. Oh, you mean Haley Joel show? Osment? Yeah, I, I yeah, Haley Joel Osment. Yeah, did who did I say? Oh, no, I thought you, you were still talking about Shyamalan. Oh no, oh, no, oh, my God, that would be. I I wouldn't know what to think about that. Oh no, Haley Joel Osment's doing great. He does those yeah, good for him. Kingdom Hearts gangs. He works out with Comedy Bang Bang and Scott Ackerman all the time mm-hmm. on all kinds of stuff. He's good for him. He does fun stuff. Yeah, good for him. I, it's a, you know it's same with like Mara Wilson, who's just like a warrior on Twitter. One of the things I wanted to talk about, like at the end of the movie. Um, cause I want to get your guys's take about this. Um, cause I think that I don't know what we're trying to say with a couple of things. The first thing I wanted to bring up was when at the end of it, after he's broken both of his legs or whatever, and it pans over to Grace Kelly, she's reading a book. I can't remember the name of the book with it before we got on air. I was trying to find the name of the book, the, but then she notices the, that, that beyond the sleeping, Himalayas, she puts it's the beyond the book. Himalayas. Sorry. Okay. Okay, thank you. I, I think, <laughs> thank you, Borif. Um But then she like notices he's sleeping, and then just like puts it away and pulls out her fashion magazine. Well, I guess it's just a cheeky joke that deep down she's you know she's she's still got her same interests even if she plays to his a little bit, which at the time is, I guess, almost feminism that a wife doesn't have to actually change. She could just kind of like pretend yeah. a little bit. In the fifties, that's like almost. <laughs> Almost progressive. Yeah, right. That's right. (laughs) I mean, Uh, she's able to read and the whole thing. It's really blowing the doors off women's lib with that show. Yeah. (laughs) While he just gets away with two broken legs. I guess the overall... Like, meaning of that shot is, like, obviously this is a guy who thrives on danger and excitement. And the scene, he's asleep pointedly with his back to the window like it's clear that he's not looking outside as much anymore and she's reading this very exciting adventurous book okay and puts it down for this fashion magazine okay. maybe it's just a sign of domesticity sure, winning out sure, over okay. his sort of okay all right yeah. i accept i accept i accept. I think it means they're gonna have a divorce in the future i think that's what it means <laughs> bad bad news ahead <laughs> jimmy stewart is gonna suddenly wake up one morning and realize that he's a 70 year old man running around well, with a 30 year old and decide and that he's gotta like retire fantastically more wealthy than he is right like she, she must is, be yeah i mean she's 
like, I mean, I don't know what photojournalist made back then. And he's supposedly like a really famous one. Um, but anyway, I, it, they make it seem like she's the more affluent of them. I, like he, I said, in that first scene where she shows up in that like kind of 50s looking dress, it is said to be in modern money, a $10,500 dress. Mm-hmm. Well, it was made by Edith Head, so that's at least true, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the weird thing is, is it's like, I think the thing with the apartment in this is it's the same as like all those like, you know, murder mystery things or things that happen in New York where, you know, someone will be like a bartender or they'll be a fry cook or something dumb and they'll have a giant crazy apartment. Yeah, take that, that bartenders and fry cooks. Your job's <laughs> dumb. <laughs> well, essential workers. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's just, well, I mean, in context of it as like a thing where it's like, you know, you're saying that someone who's got like a minimum wage job or like a barely mm. ma- making even is able to afford like a Madison Avenue apartment or something that's just really nuts where it's like, no, that's not how that works. Or like TV detectives going home to really fancy houses. And you're like, no, that's not how that works. Right. Bosch. I mean, they, I love how they explain it. You know, if you've ever seen the TV show boss, I mean, he lives on a very, it's, it's a TV show on Amazon. It's okay. Um, it, it, and it's a very, very nice apartment. I mean, he, they explain it that he wanted with some sort of fucking inheritance or some shit. Well, I I mean, it's the tool fortune inheritance. Right. Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, that's it's the only way to do it in this country. Also, the uh, the second thing I wanted to bring up about the end of this movie um, was seeing Mrs. Torso's beau come home, and it's this you know military man who's you know, and it, you could tell this was just a joke that just was like just a shitty joke, which I thought was actually a kind of a useful commentary about how women are just preyed upon. And then they just kind of turn it into like this shitty joke. And I think that was more or less, I don't think Hitchcock meant to be at a joke. Actually, I think Hitchcock's trying to tell us that's me motherfuckers. I'm that little dude. Yeah. The well, there was a scene joke. earlier, right? Where she had a party and the guys were being very creepy towards her. Isn't that right? Yeah. 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 And they were like very strapping, attractive guys. And the guy at the end is a short sort of paunchy looking dude. She straight up gave one of those dudes a kiss out on the balcony, too. So it's one of those things where you're like, wait a minute. Okay, so she's she's actually getting some on the side. I don't know how to feel about this ending. Miss Torso is a very strange character. Because first of all, so it's this character, if you haven't seen the movie, she dresses sort of... Uh, if you haven't seen the movie at this point. <laughs> yeah. She's always wearing, like, very short shorts and, like, uh, you know... Uh, cut off tops and stuff and dancing around her apartment and leaning over provocatively and her apartment conveniently or inconveniently is all windows. <laughs> so it's completely no exposed. Blinds. Yeah. No blinds completely exposed to the outside world. So she's constantly kind of dancing at some point. She probably noticed Jeffers like probably noticed Jimmy Stewart out there, but yeah, over the course of six weeks, but whatever this character, you know, whatever, she's got her own story, as many of the characters do. But the thing that's weird about her is he refers to her as Miss Torso. Now, Torso is not like, first of all, a, an attractive thing. Like, Torso sounds like a corpse. And obviously, given what happens yeah. to Miss Thorwald, <laughs> I assume that there's some implication that they're trying to make like convey the idea of literally a torso because miss thorwald is getting chopped up in the other room right it's not like she's miss hips or miss like 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah, anything, whatever they could have got away with in the 1950s, that's at least something a person is generally attracted to. But it's just such a strange term. It's like that John Mulaney bit where they call the upper part of the body the top part, and it's like a sociopath thing. <laughs> I, I think I get they were trying to do like women's bodies and death kind of thing that Hitchcock has done before and after, but it was so strange hearing him say Miss Torso every time. Yeah, it felt a little Black Dahlia. It was very strange. It was not, there was a very weird vibe from that whole thing. Yeah. yeah and and it, you could take that one in many ways. I, I think that, um, I mean, I, I think it's also, uh, also her upstairs, the fact that the, the the nosy lady almost gets nothing out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, she know. doesn't have anything out of this. She's yeah. like, otherwise we know her as an artist. I guess. I guess we figure out that like she's got an artist. That's she's like a sculptor or whatever. But you know, we don't really get anything out of her. We don't get much out of the newlywed couple, other than like no. They, you know, I think if Hitchcock really wanted to make a joke out of it, he should have showed him fighting at that end sweeping you know the they last do a little the bit there's a there's a couple they, there's a shot of them and there's a line you can he- barely hear where the wife is saying to him like well if i'd known you weren't going to stay at the job we wouldn't have gotten married ah uh, yes uh that, that you're right you're right so, so look at me look at me i'm just as yeah. smart as hitchcock i have quibbles with thor i don't quite understand thorwald's plan so he killed his wife to run off with his girlfriend that much is pretty clear um then he had his girlfriend pose as his wife and sent his wife's stuff along to wherever she is, had her pick it up posing as the wife. Um, but at some point, is she just going to assume the identity of this wife? Does she not have any family? Because at some point, surely somebody is going to want to see this wife in person. This is not a long time solution. Are they going to disappear? If so, why don't they just disappear all the same night? And also, Killing that dog was fucking so stupid. Just get a fence for your rose garden, my man. You're going to get so much suspicion drawn on you for killing that dog right next to the rose garden it was digging up. Yeah, the whole thing with the dog, it seemed to me like they had to make the villains, like, getting caught personal. Because up to that point, you had an off-screen wife get killed and you saw a lot of people in abstract sort of interacting. But you knew he was a baddie, but you didn't know, you didn't feel he was a baddie. It was more of an mm-hmm. intellectual pursuit that you got to get this guy. But then having the one scene where they actually break out of uh, Jimmy Stewart's apartment and meander around is yep. when the lady was like screaming about the dog in the alley. Um, and it gives you kind of an objective moment on everything. But it also makes it so that, you know, suddenly you're like, yeah, uh, fuck Perry Mason. I want that guy to get caught Yeah, because of the dog. That scene where the, the woman who lives upstairs, who sleeps on the balcony and brings her dog up in the basket, starts yelling about, like, uh, ain't you know what it means to be neighbors? Like, in a movie Mm -hmm. that feels like a stage play to me, like, there's movies that feel like they were adapted from the stage, and this one wasn't, but it feels like it. That moment, more than anything, feels like it was taken from a stage production and put Mm -hmm. into a movie. It That is true about this. It feels very claustrophobic. Like, the movie doesn't feel like open you're just kind of stuck in the same room for a long time uh which is kind of great for uh quarantine because we're all yeah in right yes, watching yes, this movie. And, we're, uh, we're well, all you know and, and they all just like sit out their windows and play instruments and play bella yeah. chow the, the yeah. other oh, thing wait, that probably, not in this country 
The other thing that probably makes it feel like a stage production is like so much of the acting and the action is by necessity broad in a stage way because so much of it is Jimmy Stewart watching these people. So they have to act in big ways so that we, the audience who is watching from a distance, Mm -hmm. can see sort of their emotional state and what they're going through. And that also in and of itself just feels like a stage play. Not really common for the 50s, per se, but I mean, a lot of movies were like that um, post-war. Yeah. Um, you know, like a lot of movies, even pre-war. Um, but like it, it, a lot of movies, because like you, you typically would take an adaptive play. Most, most of the Marx Brothers movies were their stage plays. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, 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 and, and this one in particular, I think it's by design. I think this wasn't, most of the time they try to hide the fact that it was a stage play. They'll throw in some sort of, you know, car chase, something you couldn't do on stage. This sure. one doesn't because I think that, as I said, it's by design. You, sure. you, the audience take the same journey as I think as Jimmy Stewart, but more or less you take it the same as Grace Kelly. Oh, in I'm that you'd sure rather read a fashion magazine by the end of it. This movie um, would be much, much weaker if they had tried to introduce some major set piece. I don't remember I, much about Disturbia, but I'll bet there's a set piece they threw in in the middle of that movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then I, 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 well, and then like in that Truffaut interview with Hitchcock, he mentions that part of the thing he wanted to do with the musician was to show the, the concept of writing a song as if Hitchcock really has a say in this. Um, but he was interested in doing that in the movie. And that's why it was the last time he ever worked with this orchestra guy. Cause it never worked out. Um, and he was very disappointed, but I almost think like that would almost be kind of overboard. It, w- it would be overbearing. I think you're, you're dealing with something that has anything to do with anything, at least with the, with the sort of subplot with the musician. It's what rescues Mrs. Lonely hearts. Um, him trying to invent a song, I think would add another, spinal cord of this movie that really wouldn't add anything so i'm glad that it yeah. didn't work out despite hitchcock's you know I, disappointment i think it's just because hitchcock was kind of obsessed with the diegetic music thing at this point mm, for like, sure. i think he had a thing for that a couple times where he liked to have certain movies be where it just felt like you were in the room and not that you were I'm actually sh- watching a movie. i haven't i haven't seen it but i have to imagine that's the case in rope right yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, and actually, I mean these these movies. It's funny because like uh, these these movies didn't see the light of day until like the eighties, um, you know, like till because like the Hitchcock estate held on to them forever. This rope, and I, I can't read some other movie. Vertigo is one of them, which is fucking weird because yeah. that's like well, it was it was because these these were like uh, disposable like matinee fare, uh, and right. then you know you wind up with someone who's kind of stuffy, or at least someone who's like artsy, like Truffaut coming in, and suddenly it became a big deal around nineteen eighty five, nineteen eighty three. Yeah, and it 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 it, it, it I'm glad we did because again I even remember uh, not myself but Richard, my twin brother, um, frequent guest on the hot podcast, um, mm-hmm. way back in the day. Um, well, we'll have, but we'll have he, to have him back again. Was, <laughs> he was a huge Hitchcock fan even before we knew we wanted to do you know movies and shit. Um, and this was like the. Th- third movie that he showed me because my mom worked at the library. We were able to rent a bunch of VHS tapes back then. Um, And this was, that was the first time I've ever seen it. And Hitchcock is one of those directors, especially in the fifties. This was his prime. I mean, this was when he was firing at all fucking cylinders. I mean, Mm -hmm. like this was when he was, I think probably doing his best work. Um, And these movies, you can watch them now and they still feel like good movies. They don't feel dated. I mean, they feel dated in the, you know, the, a lot of other things, but like they, you're still into the story. It's still the way it hooks you in as an audience member. It's very human. And, um, I think it's very cool. And again, it, it, it even what Hitchcock does so well is he's exploiting 
a natural instinct in human behavior that we don't really want to acknowledge. And that is being a voyeur. I mean, now we acknowledge it all the time, but I think that we, we probably do it now and don't even acknowledge it. Actually. I actually take that back. I don't think we really acknowledge what we're giving into by giving into the, just looking into people's lives all the time. I don't know if that's true. Like I, I, since I have to work on YouTube now and I have to like watch people on Twitter <laughs> and Twitch and I went through the, uh, we'll just say uh, pressure cooker that was machinima where everybody had oh, to be yeah, somebody so online important. and somebody had to be famous and everybody had to have a Instagram following or a Twitter following. And it was very strange. There was very much like a, it was sort of like uh, in a role-playing game where you're playing a game and you, you go up to an enemy and you're like, is this a baddie that I can mess with yet? And you're like, oh no, he's level 15. I got to come uh, back. Yeah, People right. would do that nonsense in conversations. They would like look up your Twitter account while they were talking to you. And if you had sub thousand followers, they'd suddenly just hard ghost the conversation and walk away. Oh, wow. And it's like <laughs> stuff like that. Like, uh, yeah, so watching people do things is like a pretty big thing. Also, we're we're doing a podcast, so we're kind That's of giving true. into that I mean, too. But yeah, but we're also out just listening thing. to our opinion. You know, it's not like <laughs> I'm gonna go. Ta- I'm gonna go take the microphone to the bathroom. You know, you guys. You know, um, sure. which it's long enough. Uh, but I think that um, <laughs> we don't need that. We don't need that, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> But Try to keep I, the I pants know. on I, for I, at least yeah, the first five episodes. If we get 500, uh, 500 uh, donations on Patreon, we'll, we'll unleash. Yeah, you betcha. Uh-huh. Yeah, you bet. We'll go yeah. to the bathroom yeah. You send me enough money. You bet. I, I, you, yeah. you do well, not we'll start know only, how little shame I have. We'll start um, an OnlyFans just so that Carlson can <laughs> finally go to the bathroom. <laughs> Oh God! I don't even know what, what, I hope my wife never listens. She's gonna fucking be like, "You better fucking not." Um, but yeah, no. So I'm, I'm, I'm. This it is one of those movies, and I, I'm shocked that Zach's never seen it. Like I'm actually, I, I didn't know that about you. So I'm glad you got to see it. So Zach, I'm actually curious about your thoughts of it. I mean, what what is your overall impression of the movie, having been your first time seeing it? Uh, I mean, it's a classic for a reason. It's like obviously very well. It's you're like, like you said, it moves very efficiently. Um, the storytelling is extremely efficient. Like they don't waste a lot of time. As I said, like I was struck by how much it felt like a stage play to me. There were a few things that were very of the era. One thing, for instance, that uh, reminded me of, of, of Psycho a little bit, but in the other direction is at the very end when Thorwald is captured by the police and like Jimmy Stewart's fallen out the window and about four seconds later, a police like officer comes out and is like, Thorwald's confessed to everything. He's going to show us the whole East River. He also (laughs) said that he killed the dog because this is what was in the garden. And it's like, he said all that in the four seconds since Jimmy Stewart fell out the window. And it's very like of its time. I guess it's better than the psychologist droning on in Psycho, but it reminded me of a mirror. That's true. Okay. At least yeah. it was shorter. That's yeah. true. Uh, I and, and you know, I this is my biggest complaint with Spielberg too. Like you, you just don't. Do you, you want your audience to walk away with zero questions? You know, mm-hmm. they're they're not. They're they're. You don't let them figure it out. Yeah. Um. You know. Yeah. yeah he dismembered the, the body they, in twenty pieces. You know, like yeah, uh, they, we knew that. <laughs> they ripped open the evidence dungeon, showed it to everybody real fast. It's a denouement in all of like yeah. two minutes. Like the ending on this one is the tightest button I've ever seen, where it was just like bup, 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 and that yeah, was just right. the end. And you're like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. They did the credits at the start, so we don't have to do shit now. That's right. Yep. Yeah, and and that's why it it again, unlike considering how bad it can get with Hitchcock, this was pretty mild. 
Um, <laughs> but it, it, he still does it. Can't help himself. Mm-hmm. Still does it. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, it's, but yeah, it, it, it's just one of those classics, right? It just feels like a classic when you're watching it. You can see why, you know, it's on everybody AFI's top 100 or whatever. This is only semi-related. But is there a term for this thing that I always want to have? I've always wanted to have a term for this, and I don't know that that one exists. And it seems like one should. But that moment in a lot of movies where the villain's plan is functionally ruined, like their overall plan is not going to succeed. Like when Thorwald goes to Jimmy Stewart's apartment to kill him, I think at that point he's probably not going to get away with it. If he murders another person, like, I don't know how he's going to get away with his original plan. It's kind of game over. He shouldn't have gone, but that's another story. He should story. have just skipped town, right? He, he should have just, just skipped fucking town. got the fuck out of there. But, it, and, but he's got the ring. Like, the police have the ring also, so it's like his plan is fucked. And it happens to a lot of villains in a lot of movies, but there's a period of time where their plan is fucked, but they're still trying to kill the protagonist. So basically, they're trying to do this one last fuck you, even though their overall scheme is gone. Is there a name for that period of time in movies? Where the villain's basically defeated, but they're just trying to do that last fuck you. They usually call it the climax. Yeah. Um, or the, the ticking I, I, clock that they introduce at the last minute. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a very common shtick. I think that's even in Macbeth, when Macbeth goes from being the protagonist of a story to the villain of his own story. Uh, um, or yeah. Hamlet, too. I mean, when... when yeah. You know, yeah. he dies, but he also gets to kill the, you know, the still gets poisoned. And sh- I'm just saying, no, if it doesn't no. exist, we should make up a word. We can start a TV <laughs> tropes page yeah. for it. Yeah. When Hans Gruber is hanging out the window by the mm-hmm. watch, that's the. Yeah, it's know. just like the, the Pyrrhic, uh, the Pyrrhic victory, but it's like the yeah. Pyrrhic. Defeat? Defeat? I yeah, don't it's know. The Pyrrhic yeah, defeat. like they're trying to make it so both sides <laughs> lose. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. If, if, if I'm going down, I'm taking you with me. Um, yeah. yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I, I think that um, one of the things that I like about Hitchcock's bad guys um, is the sort of he does he humanizes them. I, I don't think he quite was successful as he wanted to be, um, especially with like Norman Bates. But do you think that's why? he adds this sort of like, oh, he confessed. Maybe he's not that bad of a guy. Do you think maybe he wanted I to think say it was like, for well, convenience. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, yeah, that's I, an yeah. Occam's razor. He was just like, hey, yeah, right, we got yeah. five minutes to go on this movie. We can't do anything. Let's just visually right. wrap it up. Let's just and make sure. Well, and, and, and Grace you know, Kelly's got to get on the plane don't. to Monaco. Let's wrap it up, boys. Yeah, yeah. right. There you I go. Mean, <laughs> even, and much more than Norman Bates, Thorwald's such a difficult character to, to, to humanize because he has like three four lines in the totality of this movie the climax with him is also very like he does that flash thing to keep thorwald at bay which is too effective like it shouldn't be that effective and it has that weird red dot <laughs> effect true. certainly after the very, second one yeah after the second one you'd probably be okay right you yeah know. just keep yeah. going forward you have <laughs> right. a basic idea yeah right he's in a wheelchair you just plunge forward do it with your eyes closed you don't need to uh-huh. see him to do it just keep bowing pull that motherfucker over yeah, so I think I think there's a little bit there's a couple aspects. I think the the pot boiler, like him watching from afar aspects of the movie are really great. The climax, there's aspects of it that don't fully cohere, like they're not as cohesive to me, but I think overall, thematically and in terms of sort of the, the slow build, it's I you can, there's a good reason why it's a masterpiece. Yeah. So you're saying it's it's uh, uh okay to watch. It's it's something that has been all right. <laughs> currently to watch it's not something where you're I, going back and I feeling like you're cracking a textbook this movie twice because we first talked about doing this revival when i first said i was going to mm-hmm. watch this movie 
which is about six weeks ago when quarantine was just started. Oh, so 30 years ago. Yeah. And at this point, I was like, well, <laughs> if I don't rewatch the movie, I'm going to be like, trying to remember shit that they say while we're doing the podcast. I, I took notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that one of the things I, I part of the reason it took so long and it, it, I only want to bring this up because it's my favorite inside joke that Borf and I have shared for many, many years. He had to send me our the equipment that you're hearing me on from from Los Angeles to Colorado. And uh, on the note, of course, it says, <laughs> I, I think I it would be fun to run a newspaper. it would be fun to run a newspaper. <laughs> yeah. I would love um, to have like, like I, I would love to have that as a real thing. I want a musical with fucking like English kids. I want some of like the, 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 the whoever the kids are who run around with Sherlock the Holmes. Newsies? <laughs> the Newsies. I want the Newsies <laughs> out there singing about it with little yeah. Cockney accents about being Charles Foster the, King. The Sherlock Holmes Charles ones, Foster I think, King. are the Baker Street Boys, right? Is that That's right? That's it. The, the That's B Street it. Brigade. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, the, the, uh, the, yeah, they should do a Newsies version of Citizen Kane. I mean, missed <laughs> opportunity. Um, you know, that's totally what they should do. And yeah, that would be a great song. You and I have been composing this song for mm-hmm. a decade now. So the yeah. Newsies version of Citizen Kane would be about how Citizen Kane deeply mistreats the Newsies? Because he surely did. <laughs> well, I mean, most definitely. But it, it, it's more about him but, wanting to but, run a newspaper and but how it has a really outraged. It's got really good dance numbers. That's it's okay. really sad, but it's really good dance numbers. It's just like it's just like that Lay Miserables. It's really good dance numbers. Mm-hmm. Real depressing movie, but it's got a toe tapper that happens when the lady's a prostitute and she shaved her head, and then the one guy's an old French guy, and then someone dies of the plague. It's a yeah, really fun, fun musical. We'll make it realistic. We'll get Tom Hooper to direct. What's he's do- he's he's doing great right. these days, right? That's right. Yeah, you just don't. You know, we'll just do the whole movie without a click track. Can you imagine that, Borif? Without a click track, doing a musical. They, they did it with oh. it was a nightmare to edit apparently they did it without a click track and it was a nightmare to edit my understanding like they used all the onset audio for both Les Miserables and Cats and in <laughs> Les Miserables the reason was nominally that he was trying to make a more realistic kind of gritty version than the stage show would be like set in sort of a, a more grounded world than the stage show was which is kind of fine for Les Miserables with Cats you're fucked from from frame one. This is about talking fucking cats, okay? Yeah. There's, a, there's a horny cat, and there's, there's a magic cat, and then there's an evil cat. You don't need to make it gritty and real. Right, the evil cat yeah. who's just really basically Moriarty. Yeah. Um, I, I, it, 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 I, that movie, I, I won't pay to see that. I will not spend a dime to it, but that movie, I have to see that movie, right? I mean, if it's that bad, this is a movie I have to see. There if this project goes on long enough. Happen. Oh, well, you better believe it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to make your guys' eyes bleed. Oh, I've um, seen it, my friend. I have seen it. I saw oh, it in theaters. Boy. I took a few edibles and went down to my local AMC <laughs> oh, and I'm had myself not. a real fine time. But you definitely shouldn't do that movie sober. I mean, I, I think that, that they should have a disclaimer on that. Please imbibe in something. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of going into that stone cold sober and then having to like watch an Idris Elba cat dance around and then <laughs> other cats vaguely turn into dust clouds for no apparently good reason. Yeah. And somewhere in the background, you could just see Tennessee Williams or like you could see his spirit floating on fire, just wishing that people would not use his his poems to make such horrible films anymore. So oh, T.S. Eliot. T.S. Eliot. Uh, yes. Not Tennessee right. Williams. Yes. Oh, yes. Cat on a Hot oh, Tin the, Roof. I got the, it wrong. The, the Wasteland? That's what everybody knows? No, no, Mr. Eliot. They don't know shit about the Wasteland. <laughs> 
we kind of run out of steam on rear window. Uh, unless, yeah. Boy, yeah. do you have any final thoughts? Alfred Hitchcock was one of these guys that I was super into when I was a film student. And I had all these uh, opinions and stuff last time we did the podcast. But the thing is, is that like now I've worked in production long enough that it's like, it's all bullshit. The, yeah, it's all bullshit. Like, I look at it and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we all think that he, like, planned this stuff out. He might have been like, you know what? I'm sick and tired of having to travel for films. Let's just do one on a set. The whole set's one set. We're not going to go anywhere. And then they shoot it. Like, you know, uh, what was it? Dial M for murder. They shot it over, like, two weekends. That's all they did. It was yeah. a super short shoot. It's like, by that time in his career, he was like, I just want to get the money. Give me the check. Give me the money. Give me the project. We'll just get it all done. Right. I think there's stories of him famously falling asleep on set. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like you, it, even my, uh, our cynical take, I shall say on most movies <laughs> that we watch. Um, this is one of those movies that still can pierce through my cynicism and I can still like enjoy it. You know, like mm-hmm. it, I still admire the craft of it, you know, and it, it, it the, the lasting power speaks for itself. I mean, it, yeah. it is, it's, it's like I said, it's not the best Jimmy Stewart movie, not the best Hitchcock movie, probably not even the best Grace Kelly movie, definitely not the best Thelma Ritter movie. I think that, uh, it, it, all that being said, it still stands up to what it was. I mean, I mean, it made a lot of money and never won best picture or anything, but it made a lot of money. It's not my personal favorite Hitchcock. Um, I do, I prefer Psycho to it a bit. Um, I prefer Vertigo. I'd probably have to rewatch North by Northwest because I haven't seen that in ages. Um, and I haven't Watch seen it Rebecca. As a comedy. I haven't seen Rebecca, though my girlfriend really loves Rebecca, so I'm sure I will at some point. It's just very difficult to find. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's still like B tier, like second tier hitchcock to me it's it's i give it 4.5 concussions is that there we, we go do? yeah well i don't we know should. i was just if we're gonna keep the brand uh, we should, we should, <laughs> let's let's just dive into that one um <laughs> guys our 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 podcast name is impossible to say comfortably like yes, film, I know. film concussion like film concussion I, mm-hmm. I don't remember how we came up with it it might have been either. me as I, an opinionated asshole in my 30s but I'm open to a brand new name let's get something that's easy to say I wasn't on the podcast where you guys came up with the name so I know I had fuck all to do with it I, I am I am down for a new name I, I was only just maintaining the film concussion just to for less thinking on my part um, but if, fuck if yeah, we, dude, I mean, whatever the name of this podcast is when you download it that's the name we yeah. decided on Boy, yeah. Go back to what I said, 4.5 concussions and whatever new noun we put in the in the title. I'll just record myself saying that word and you mm-hmm. can you can yeah, cover we'll just it I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, do exactly. it even easier. We'll just do it in post. I'll have the robots say it. We Fuck won't have yeah. to worry about it. Yeah. Welcome to the movie trap. We decided on that name. Movie trap. This is a robot. Beep. Beep. Fucking beep. Yeah, so, the yeah. robot. I like it. Or we'll, we'll just, you know, to do yeah, it. we can just pipe in like what they're going to do for sports teams going forward. We're just going to pipe in crowd noise. Well, uh, shall we call it? I mean, do you want to wrap it up? Uh, okay. So it seems like maybe the best way to go about it is to just... Repeat our names and then say, this has been whatever the fuck this podcast is going to be called. My name's Chris Boroff, and this is whatever the fuck this podcast is going to end up being called. I was thinking we'd each say our names in turn and then say that at the end. We can each say. We're going to be here all day if we have to say. (laughs) (laughs) The sign-off's going to be as long as a fucking I'll I'll, I'll follow y'all's lead. You guys take it away and I will follow you. Whatever you want to do. Okay, we'll go in reverse alphabetical order with first name. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess that wraps us up. I've been Zach Powers. I'm Russell Carlson, and this has been Chris Bora.
I can tell you one thing. When a man and a woman see each other and like each other, they ought to come together. Wham! Like a couple of taxis on Broadway.